0: Hey guys, it's Simon, and it is my joy to welcome you to episode 4 of Learning from Humanity with Simon Funk, The Old and the Bold. Today, I had the privilege of interviewing Stefan S. What do you think living well looks like?
1: You know, that's one of the, th- the questions that I kind of got hung up on when I was reading your introduction and kind of like for me... Like, I don't think living well should look like something because that insinuates it's just an illusion. Oh. But that you should actually really live well. So, okay. like, I would rather think of, like, what does living well mean?
0: Okay. The other version uh, of the is how do you define
1: it? How do you define it? Yeah, which rather because, you know, I think a ton of people spend a lot of time making it appear that they live well you know by you know being seen in pretty places and driving fancy cars and everything else but you know there's not a lot of content behind all that stuff so you know i think it i mean the main things is the main things are that you're actually truly content within yourself and that you have a good balance between, you know, your work life, your social life, your personal life, you know, um, you know, all all aspects of things. So you've got a great balance, and that you've got nice relationships, have nice sports, keep yourself healthy. Um, And, you know, that's all, those are all things that are an ongoing issue because, you know, a lot of people think they only have to stay fit when they're 20, but, like, that doesn't go away. You still have Hmm. to try to stay fit when you're 65. Um, So it's just an ongoing, I think it's an ongoing thing to kind of live an honest, healthy life and healthy, not just from a, Physical health, but a mental health and a a emotional health as well. Well, so and and, you know those aren't kind of things that you can just sit down and define. Like (laughs) looking forward, I want to do this, I want to do that, I want to do that. But you know, you just have to kind of you know kind of reevaluate where you are and what you're doing and who your friends are and what kind of relationships you're in on an ongoing basis and trying to steer yourself in the right direction and some people find that, you know, it's easier, you know, some people find that it's easy to do just or or the easier way to achieve that is by having some external guidelines like maybe religion or certain social groups or everything else, some people just do it on their own like everyone chooses a different path in that department, right? So that's where I would, I mean, that's how it, I mean, I don't, I don't think there's anything specific, you know, but just to, just to lead a well-balanced, meaningful life, you know, um, that, that, you know, makes you content and makes you happy and makes the other people around you that you're with happy. Uh, But beyond that, I don't think there would be any specific. Oh, that was
0: very interesting.
1: Hmm.
0: I'll keep that in mind as I go forward. So, uh, what has your life been? I want to avoid using the word "looked like. Like,
1: like, like, what, like, as far, like. What's your story? Um, uh, well, you don't want to hear 65 years worth of a story. (laughs) Uh, um, Basically, I am the second oldest of six kids. Uh, my parents were German immigrants that came to Canada after the war. And they lost everything in Germany, so that's kind of why they came to Canada. And my dad, they were both doctors. My dad was, became a GP in northern Saskatchewan, uh, where we lived until I was five my mom didn't work or she she kept you know kept the family home Um, and when i was five we moved to the united states for a couple years before we moved back to bc to the fraser valley and basically so i grew up here where i started grade three uh here and grew up in maple ridge went to school there And then I went to, when I graduated, I went to UBC, went to medical school at UBC. Uh, And uh, at that point in time, I was thinking that I wanted to do something a little bit more exciting than just staying around in BC or Canada. So as it turned out, I got an internship in South Africa working in a huge, big uh, hospital, and that was during the time that there was apartheid in South Africa. So it was a a racially divided hospital. It was in a big black township, huge, huge hospital that cared for probably population of 15 million people. Uh, And we just worked incredibly hard seeing unbelievable Diseases and trauma and everything else, but we also had a ton and ton of fun. Uh, so we worked really hard, but played very hard too. Went hiking every weekend that I wasn't on call, and we were on call every third day. Uh, and we rarely slept on those nights, we just worked through the night. Um, and halfway through that, I met uh, Lisa. And we started dating, uh, but a couple months after that, I got the letter that I got accepted to do plastic surgical training in Vancouver. So I was due to leave in May. Uh, At the end of, or the middle of May, I actually left my job and traveled through Southern Africa for a month and a half through Botswana and Zimbabwe. Um, Kind of on a big extended camping trip. Uh, And then came back and did my training, started my training in plastic surgery, which was five years working at VGH. Uh, And halfway through that, Lisa came to visit and we decided to make a go of it. So we got married the next year. Uh, and uh, she continued with her studies which was town planning so she got accepted into the master's program town planning in at VGH while I finished my plastic surgery residency um, which I finished when I was about 31 Uh, that was lots of hard work uh, but we also had a ton of fun doing it Uh, so Did tons of hiking trips and a couple cool holidays and always did lots of stuff. Did used to go for lots of runs. We lived right near VGH and so down around False Creek and everything. Uh, And then I worked in Vancouver for three years. Uh, That's where we had our first child, Hera, before we decided we didn't want to live in Vancouver. And we found this place out near in Abbotsford and moved here, and uh, been here ever since. And uh, when we moved here, this was just just like a stripped farm with just only grass. And so over the years, we kind of had three more kids and built a house, and created the garden, and made the place that we live in today, which we just love. There you go, (laughs) and then I retired retired after 33 years. I worked for 33 years retired last year (laughs) And I'm loving it (laughs) Wonderful, yeah,
0: so you speak about balance with people. Do you have any advice on relationships including the one that you have with yourself?
1: uh I don't know. I think you know the number one thing is you just have to be honest with people and yourself. So, like you know, if you if you're trying to pretend you're 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 something that you're not, or that you like something that you're not, or you know, then you know it's just not going to work in the end. You know, that's just like an unsustainable thing pretending someone, and so. You just have to kind of, you know, like be honest, be fair with people uh, and, and by and large that doesn't, I mean, at the same time you need to pursue your passions, you know, I mean, when you meet the right person, I mean, you kind of have to give it a go. Otherwise you're like, you, you know, if you don't dive ever dive in the water, you're not going to get wet, right? Um, so, I mean, you have to pursue those, but you, you also have to be honest with yourself and with other people that you deal with. Uh, and you know, if that happens, both in a negative and a po- positive and a negative way, uh, you know, if you do that, you know, by and large, you're going to come out ahead, uh, in the long run, you're going to be able to say to yourself, yeah, this is, this is a good thing. And, you know, and, 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 and do that. You also have to have curiosity, Uh, and take risks to some degree you know to take risks to explore new things and like go trip go on like we went lots and lots of travels over the years go see how other people live you know go see what other people's values are what their priorities are talk with as many people as you can um in my job I you know I worked with people so I kind of Saw tons of people's problems, and you know, participated in seeing if we could solve those kind of problems one way or the other. And you know, uh, you know, you gotta always have an open mind. Uh, but the bottom line is, if you're kind of honest with yourself and them, that's the, kind of the biggest key, I think.
0: Okay. And then uh, we talk about relationships in general. What about love and friendship specifically? Is there anything else for those two areas?
1: You know, I think, you know, I think kind of love is in a way, you know, kind of something that, you know, especially when you're young is kind of, kind of takes care of itself. Like you fall in love and that's not something you can talk yourself into or talk yourself out of. Like if it happens, it happens, Mm -hmm. right? You know, that's, you can't sit there at a desk and figure it out. Um, but then, you know, once those, you know, just once that happens, you know, and if you decide to make a commitment, like when we decided to commit to get married and everything else, you know, those, there's a difference between being in love for the first months or years or something like that and being, you know, committed to each other for the next 38 years, as it turns out. So... You know, and, and a lot of that, I mean, you know, by, by the time 25 or 30 years or 40 years swings by, you know, that hot, passionate love isn't exactly the same as it was. But, you know, you just have endless history together and you've lived through so much life together and had so many experience together and you've grown together that... You know, again, you know, your 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 relationship becomes so rich. Um, and, but again, you know, it, it's not always easy. Uh, and, you know, you have your good times, your bad times. But as long as you stay honest and, you know, and part of the honesty is faithfulness and, you know, you, you kind of have a, a decent set of values and stick with them, like, you'll be fine coming through it all in the end Hmm. and I think that's the same thing with friendships you know kind of like you know it's kind of obvious you have friendships with people that you're interested in or that that have things in common with you Uh, you know where you share something in common your love for sports your love for this or love for that or you know and you have all kinds of different friends obviously we have friends that we share common interests in gardening and we have friends that we share common interests in playing pickleball or or hiking or biking or or reading books and um so you can kind of have all kinds of different friends but you know with your wife you have to share all those things. You know, so you have to have a little bit of a deeper relationship in that. And those things all change over over the years as well. Like the friendships you have when you're young Maybe sometimes they're a bit different from the friendships you are have as you get older and sometimes the friends, you know, kind of change as well. But always having you know, having an interest in people, you know, is one of the key things to it too. Like if you don't have no interest in people you're not gonna have a lot of friends. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, no yeah. two ways about it. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, some people are like that and that's just fine, right? Mm-hmm.
0: If you got to share an experience with everyone on the planet, if you could give these people the the gift of an experience, what would the experience be?
1: I think probably one of the, the most formative experiences that, like if you're talking about everyone in the planet and achieving a, a better life is the kind of the security of growing up in a stable, loving home and learning trust right from the get go. Um, because you know, if you have that, you, you learn to trust other people, like, like deep down, trust other people. And through that, you also trust yourself and respect yourself. And on the flip side of that, I think that people that lose that for any reason, you know, think of all kids that are traumatized with wars and having their families ripped apart or parents killed or being orphaned or one of the major kind of shattering of trust is like sexual abuse and things like that. Those kids never or or find it very, very hard to build a a stable and equal relationship with other people. And I think that that impairs their ability to really thrive in the long run. Um, Whereas if you have a good sense of trust, and if you can trust other people, you can also trust yourself, that that allows you to realize that you're a person that matters in the greater scope of things, and that you have a part to play in whatever type of life you pursue. Um, so I think that would probably be the most important thing as far as like forming forming your ability to lead a good life
0: okay you took the question in a completely different way than i've ever heard oh. it before huh. which is super cool huh. what i was it's uh it's a way that i'm trying to back into the question of what is the best experience that you have had
1: huh um
0: or the coolest experience that you think there is?
1: I mean, in 65 years, I've had lots of them. Uh, I mean, I think probably one of the most formative experiences that I had was going off to South Africa, you know, completely on my own, not knowing a soul, and landing in this massive hospital where we, we lived in the hospital grounds. Um, And you kind of walk in and I had never seen more than four or five black people in one place at a time and there were literally like hundreds of patients there at that hospital all waiting to be seen. It was a big Zulu hospital and then learning, you know, how to find my way in that whole thing. I mean they only spoke Zulu, I only spoke English, we had interpreters and learning how to deal with all the diseases and incredible trauma and violence and everything that came into the hospital. and At the same time working in a team environment with all the other people doing that, coordinating that and then finding kind of a really, really, really fun social life there too because we were you know when you it was kind of like running a mash unit in a way kind of you know what a mash unit is like i a, personally haven't seen. oh like a show, mash but. unit is um like uh a, a medical unit in a war where people kind of come in there used to be a show called mash about the korean war where there all these people are living together in this town where they bring all the incoming injured people and all the kind of experiences they had and they weren't just medical but they were also like highly social so when you work hard you also tend to play hard so we worked terribly terribly hard um like we would like sometimes have 40 stab chests in a night oh shit. and like Vancouver general probably has 40 stab chests in a year you know, like, and, and it was just unbelievably busy. Uh, but, you know, you just learn to, to triage and get efficient and get things done and take charge. And, you know, that was, it was very, very exciting. But by the same token, we, pl- we played hard. So, like, we would think nothing of leaving at 4 in the morning to go on a 16-hour hike in the mountains, um, like, a day after we're on call uh and just saw the most unbelievable scenery um you know and lots of cool holidays that's where i met lisa and we did tons of hikes and holidays and went down like it was in in a totally different environment in south africa i mean those days it was like racially charged there was you know still a part of it going on um but it was also you know there was just a ton of beautiful things fantastic sea and things to explore so I, you know and then you know that that made lots of lasting friends uh that we still see to this day in fact we're going to a, a wedding there in march um i was probably the most kind of formative thing there cuz i was just completely on my own in those days uh meeting lisa and then coming back here and starting starting a new Life, all you know, because once you're married, you kind of start your own, your own family, and that family is the number one, and your parents are the number two after that, right? Mm-hmm. So it's a whole different, uh, it changes the the dynamics. So uh, I think that probably would be the biggest one.
0: <laughs> That's amazing. Your work seems like it was, it was insane wild. at that point in time. It, it was wild. <laughs> Do you have any advice on, or what are your thoughts on work, business, and money?
1: Um I you know I think that you I mean I think you know like work I mean you know first of all I think you have to choose work that you just love doing because otherwise if you I I, I mean for me anyways like you you spend a fair amount of your life working um you know like I just retired after working, working full-time for 33 years um, if you hate what you're doing it's really destructive and soul destroying to just work at a job where you're unhappy you don't like the content you like the people with your with your and even if you get paid a lot of money it's not worth the end because it just kills you uh so you need to find something that you enjoy and you know obviously there are days where you hate it and where you don't like it but overall you need to be kind of interested or passionate about what you're doing um you know it's great if that makes a lot of money i was lucky that i wasn't a good job but you know again you know if you had to choose between a job that you hate that makes a lot of money and one that you love that only makes enough to allow you to live well you know I think you're better off choosing the second you know I mean you know unfortunately in our or for for us fortunately for us in our day you know life just was a lot kind of cheaper to start out like we didn't have the stresses that people seem to have today but You know, I often kind of think, none of us old guys, when we die, can take anything with us. You know, it's all, it all stays here. Uh, So, you know, everyone gets their turn. Um, Business, you know, I, I don't really have much experience or thought on business because... I mean, you know, the number one thing in business is is that you have to be honest. If you're not honest in business, if you cheat people, uh, in an effort to get rich, it, it, it will backfire and you'll never be successful. Uh, you know, if you're honest and ethical, that's the most important thing. And you'll get a reputation for that—that that you're, you're, you know, you do a good job, uh, that's honest, and uh, and work will come your way. Um, if you cheat and take shortcuts, uh, it gets known, and you you, you you won't be happy in yourself if you have to come home at the end of the day and look in the mirror and say yeah i made a m- bunch of money but I cheated someone out of something in the process mm. of doing it like that's just not a way you can go um yeah i think that that would be my kind of answer to that okay but you gotta cheat you gotta achieve a good you, you and everyone has a different one but achieve a good balance between work and and non work life um And, you know, everyone has a personal different balance of that. Some people are happy just working and their entire social life is at work and they just are happy to work 12 hours a day, six days a week. And that's good for them. Mm -hmm. And other people, that's just not what they're into. They'd rather have a different balance where, you know, they work a little bit less and have a more diverse social or sports or recreational life outside of it. And... You just have to find that balance that makes you happy um, you know or yeah and, and you know in order to to make that happen, you have to develop outside interests, so like if you just have no interests beyond work, whenever you're working, you're gonna be bored, so there's like you've got nothing to do, like you know if you're not interested in anything cooking reading fiction, sports, gardening, woodworking, anything. You know, getting satisfaction out of any of those things. You know, if you're not interested in any of that stuff, well, your life becomes very narrow. And you might as well just work all the time because you've got nothing better to do. Like, I don't know, to me, like living in an apartment and whenever you're not working or going out for dinner or to a movie those are just passive activities that don't give you any satisfaction in the long run. Like Mm -hmm. I'd much rather like cook a cool meal, like research something, do it yourself. Like, you know, you get way more satisfaction because it's not in the eating, it's in the experience of making it, thinking about it, doing something together and then enjoying it at the end. Like that's like an entire day's activity that's really satisfying. If you just go out for dinner to uh, some kind of crazy Thai restaurant or something, yeah, you can eat a great meal, and five minutes after you're done, you say, yeah, that was good, and you go home. Well, then what do you do? You know? (laughs) So you just have to develop diverse interests.
0: Cool. You mentioned fiction. Do you have any favorite pieces of art? This could be a book. This could be a movie. This could be a painting that you've come back to over the years. Um,
1: I probably, I would probably have to say that I'm not really that completely into paintings or visual arts. Um, I just don't, have the ability to appreciate them in the fullest, so I wouldn't be able to say I have any particular visual art that I, that I come back. I love listening to music in general, but I don't really have any specific piece of music that I'd listen to over and over again. Um, I do love reading books. But rarely, rarely, rarely would I ever read a book twice, even though i i I do like really, really cherish some books and just enjoy them immensely. Um, but again, i I read a fairly diverse. Group of stuff for a long time. I read a lot of kind of books on exploration. One of my, I have uh, some distant relatives who are explorers in the Himalayas, and was re- and read a bunch of kind of accounts of their experiences in the in the Himalayas. And one of the books I've kind of I think I've read a there's a book called uh, The Great Game, which is a a book on the the struggle or the the conflict between the British Indian Empire and the Russian Imperial Empire where they met in the Himalayas the britons coming from the indian side and the russians coming from the north and they are their struggles to find a line of demarcation of power. Uh, and that book, it, it, I I've just find it endlessly fascinating. But that's kind of like a kind of a fictional book and I have a personal interest because my great-great-great-grand-uncles were involved in that. But then by the same time, I, you know, there's some great fiction books that I just have loved. And one that I recently reread is called Three Mile Road. Um, by a Canadian writer, Joseph Boyden, about two First Nations guys who join the Canadian Army in the First World War and become snipers, and it's just uh, just a cool book. So I really can't say that I have any one particular piece, but I just really ha- I, every once in a while I uh, file the, these pearls that I just thoroughly enjoy, and I'm so sad to let go. But then I just move on to hopefully finding the next one.
0: Oh, that's so cool. Books are wonderful. Yeah. Okay, what comes next? Okay, I'm just going to throw a random one up. Oh. there. What have you uh, stood up for over your lifetime?
1: Um. Yeah, that's a kind of a I think the probably the you know being involved in healthcare is kind of the equitable delivery of healthcare to anyone or anyone who gets ill. So not have selective health care for more affluent or more powerful people, but that health care is equally distributed independent of wealth or social standing. You know, and that's just like, I mean, we many, many, many times had people who felt they were more important who wanted to skip line Uh, you know, skip ahead in their access, and, you know, over and over and over again, you had to say, well, no, that's just quite not the way it happens. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I mean, so that's personally where I would have been involved in that stuff. Um, But also just... uh, efficient and good delivery of health care, I mean, which was my experience in South Africa where, I mean, there was just a huge population of very poor people who had terrible diseases and huge disadvantages culturally and socially and from, a, from an from a affluent point of view and just treating everyone like a human being and giving them the treatment they deserved that's super cool
0: so seeing as there are like massive issues in the world what is uh, one issue specifically in north america with society that you would change if you could
1: I think there are kind of two that kind of interrelate a little bit. One is the the increasing disparity between the rich and the poor hmm. uh, that uh, I think is kind of becoming a little bit too extreme in our societies. That I just really don't understand why there needs to be why people who hoard such a vast and unimaginable amount of money when there are people who just can't make it. And and a lot of people would criticize that on them is that, you know, everyone has a chance and they can do what they want and everything else. But, you know, a lot of people are just fundamentally disadvantaged. You know, whether they're have a mental disability or a mental health disability or a social disability, you know, those people just, you know, you can't just like sweep up homeless people and tell them to get their act together and get a job. Like it's just not that simple. Uh, So I think, you know, diminishing the inequity, but by the same token, also reducing the extremism that seems to be taking part in, in 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 the kind of political views of people. So, like, I think that, you know, a lot of the intolerance in the ultra-right-wing movements, uh, I mean, Trump is a great example where people really are endorsing you know, unethical, corrupt, hateful type of government uh, and, and it happens on the opposite side of this political spectrum too but the, the intolerance that some of those groups show towards the common good I think is, is very shocking and that I think it's bad for society and I think if There was one, I mean, I think if there was one thing only that I could change is to diminish that intolerance and disrespect for the democratic process, and the democratic process is defined as the broad will of the people, right? You know, so like, you know, like all those truckers and everything else, those people had an agenda and they felt that their agenda was more important than the general will of the Canadian population and what the Canadian population felt would be good for them. You know, and how can one group that has this little notion feel that they're more important than everyone else that participates in this country? Um, So, you know, I think that that lack of willing to understand what the other point of view is and what the issues are is, is, is a really dangerous trend uh, and I think I, I would hope that it would get better. Are or there any reduce like, specific
0: itself. practices that you know that can, people can use to help make themselves more uh, open-minded or less biased towards a specific side?
1: You know, I think that, I think people need to, I mean, pe- people need to make, kind of educate themselves and, and look objectively at the world and the news and see what's going on and rather than kind of live in little bubbles. And, you know, unfortunately, social media these days you know targets um, targets like if you if you click on something once in social like if you were to click on skinheads uh, and showed some interest in that, all of a sudden all the news feeds that you're fed start leaning in that direction, and the more you kind of go in there, the more the more you get into that limb or that that f- philosophy in that direction, the more all the information that you get feeds you in that direction, so pushes you further in those things. And I think that's that's kind of a sad thing, but people need to learn to be a bit more objective and not get led down, to, down into these weird little niche groups uh, where they're starting to believe conspiracy theories and... That's like complete wacko stuff that, um, you know, that makes them completely intolerant of other people and doesn't even think of, I mean, some of those people don't even think that people with an opposing view have the right to live. I mean, it's almost inconceivable sometimes. Mm. I mean, we have two people on this block that are those truckers. Like, Mm. it's crazy.
0: Uh, It's really interesting because I think you'll find this interesting. In Sweden, there was a court case about a mass shooter who went to a summer camp and killed a whole bunch of kids. Yeah, yeah, I know that guy. And then uh, the father of one of the kids that died there, he said, I do not have the right to demand that this man die.
1: Yeah, well, that's, uh, you know, that's that whole thing about, you know, because you take a life because you give a life. On the other hand, that doesn't mean that that person is unpunished. No. Um, And a lot of people would argue, is life in prison better than getting executed? Like, it's, you know, like it's kind of hard to know, right? You know, but, you know, I think that person was quite... You know, generous. I mean, I, you know, I think there's a difference between forgiveness and, you know, recognition that, you know, there are certain ethical standards that you follow irregardless that, you know, I mean, I, I agree that I just think the death penalty is, is just wrong, no matter what, you know. Um, But that doesn't mean, you know, that, you know, you know, it's not like an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth kind of a thing. Um, I mean, look at a lot of the countries where they just do that. And, you know, so often people are on death row and they're convicted wrongly, you know, like those things happen all over, over all the time or or corruptly. Uh, People eliminating people, I mean... Uh, That happened in Africa all the time that, you know, government ministers that wanted to get ahead just had to kill government ministers that were in their way. It happens all the time. Um, So, you know, I mean, I think you just have to have a baseline of ethical standards. Um, but that doesn't mean, like, prison is, you know, that doesn't mean that that person wouldn't be punished. And, you know, maybe it would be a greater challenge in the long run and a more equitable thing to do to try to educate that person. That was a, He was some kind of ultra-right-wing neo-Nazi. neo-Nazi kind of a guy. You know, to allow him to get insight into the wrongness of his thing and actually come to conclusions that that was a terrible thing that he did and that he needs to, to not only change his ways uh, but needs to repay society for the terrible things that he did. And maybe that is. Being removed to society for the rest of his life and just wasting away in a jail. Like I don't. I, again, I don't think he should be tortured. Shouldn't be denied basic human rights in a jail. But you, you know, on the other hand, he does have to. There has to be some kind of a a reasonable treatment and or a reasonable dealing with a reasonable kind of conclusion of an action like that. Um, and I don't really think so much that it should be necessarily punishment, um, in the, especially in the form that it's a disincentive for other people to do things like that, because I don't think the fact that that, like if that guy, like if that guy was in China or Saudi Arabia or a place like that, you know, he would have been executed in days. And their rationale is that, you know, if they deal with those people harshly, then the next person that's thinking of doing that isn't going to do it. Well, mm-hmm. I just don't think that works. Like, that's mm-hmm. a spontaneous, wacko kind of a thing that someone does on the spur of the moment. He doesn't think of the consequences. So, like, the uh, the disincentive theory uh, of capital punishment doesn't really work. Um yeah. I mean, obviously, if you're a parent of a kid or, you're, you know, even if you think of it, a kid whose life has been taken away, you know, it's terrible. But, you know, it's also irreversible and, you know, terrible as it says, what's done is done. And at one point in time, you can't use all your energy for the rest of your life trying to change what was done I mean you do have to come to terms with something like that acknowledge that it was unjust it was evil and it was tragic but can't reverse what happened and you do need to kind of you know kind of come to some kind of peace with that and move on
0: hmm. you've mentioned ethics and uh, morality a few times if you could write a rule book for life, what would a few of the rules be? Well, um, or maybe I should say a guidebook, uh, a guidebook, uh, guidelines are mandatory to follow. they just highly suggested. You know,
1: be, you know, first of all, be honest with yourself and with others. I mean, that's the, that's the number one. Uh, But also be inquisitive, take risks, have fun, work hard, have lots of experiences, make good relationships, um, and stick with them. You know, it's, uh, especially as an older person, you know, the relationships that are really, really cool and and most meaningful are the ones that have history to them. So, I mean, to be married for 38 years is just like, just an unbelievably lucky thing. Because, you know, Lisa and I have so much history to go back on. You know, we might have an argument from day to day. You know, we just have so much to go back on and so much depth that, you know, without that, you know... If we were to get divorced and just move on, you can't establish another 38-year relationship that has, you know, raising four kids, all the travels, all the things we've kind of done together and the place we've made here, that just cannot be recreated. And it just gets better and better and better and better all the time. So, you know, you need to, uh, to me, that would be kind of the, probably the, the most one. That's super cool. what's your favorite place that you've been oh god. maybe i shouldn't I use know. the word
0: the favorite what are a few of their super cool ones
1: i think the best place i've ever been is right here <laughs> uh you know what and i and because i think it's really important that you make a home that you love uh and, and you know it, it, it i mean it's a ton of work and a ton of effort and thought that we've put into this place but this place, to me, is like the best place you could ever be. But as far as tours uh, like foreign, uh, or like uh, trips goes, yeah, um, you know, none of the trips where we've just gone and lied in a beach, and had great drinks, and ate great food, Unless there was something else to it, none of those would be particularly memorable. Um, No matter how beautiful they might be. And we've been to most of them. But, you know, the ones that involved some adventure and and perhaps, and often they did, some degree of hardship are, you know, by far the more interesting ones. The ones where you actually put something into it rather than kind of, like, just go somewhere and let someone entertain you. Like, that's just, like, you forget that in a week, right? Uh, like, a, if you just go to an all-inclusive and eat as much as you can and lay on a beach in Mexico, well, you come back and you really haven't changed one thing or another. But, you are going somewhere and actually just exposing yourself to a completely out-there culture where you just don't have a clue I mean, one really memorable trip we did, I did with Christoph for the first half. We flew to western China. So we flew first to Beijing and then to Kashgar, which is, Kashgar is half the distance between Beijing and Istanbul. So it's halfway through Asia. And it's the very western city of China. And from there, it's just on the, it's at the edge of a desert. And from there, we went down into the Himalayas from the north. And we went by four-wheel drive up these incredibly gnarly steep gravel roads up to about 3,400 feet, which is like the top of Mount Baker. Uh, and camped there for a bit with these nomads, these, um, they were uh, Kyrgyz nomads. Anyways, kind of like the, uh, there's that problem in China these days with in Xinjiang province, which is was about the- um, Uyghurs? The Uyghurs, yeah. So these the Uyghurs are Turkic speaking um, Central Asian people and the Kyrgyz were kind of like along the same line. Uh, anyways, we were up into this area and then walked around a mountain that was about 7,500 feet, 7,500 meters high. And it was tough as hell. Uh, we had camels that carried our stuff, but we, Kristoff was only 11 and oh. I, and we walked probably 15 k's a day and sometimes we went up to about 55,000 meters, which is 7,000 feet. 17,000 feet. Uh, So really thin air. It was harsh. It was difficult, but the most unbelievable scenery and staying with these nomads. Like there was nothing fancy about that. Like we slept on mattresses on rocks and it was cold and it was super hot during the day, but it was just unbelievably exciting. You know, in the middle of the night, we were sleeping in this valley beside where there's these hanging glaciers and glaciers were falling down and you know i it's just like you know, and there were these nomads living up there hurting their yaks, like you know that you know that's just like you can't you can't i mean just seeing how other people live and those people communicating with you the best they could and you know, sharing like people who had nothing, sharing almost anything with you. That um, was just unbelievable. After that, Christoph and I flew back to Beijing and met Lisa and the kids, and we went to Tibet. Uh, and again, uh, a really, really cool culture in the roof of the world, high, 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 high up, really high altitude. The Tibetan. The, the the airport in Tibet is at thirty five hundred meters, so higher than the top of Mount Baker, and then seeing the Potala Palace and all these Buddhist pilgrim pilgrims that just give everything to just go to this holy city and worship, and you know it was just it was just amazing watching that kind of single minded devotion of these people who had nothing. Like literally, there were. I remember one pilgrim in in specific, she was kind of making a pilgrimage from about 300 kilometers away to Lhasa. And she had a child that was maybe three or four. It's kind of hard to tell. And these pilgrims, they put their hands together and then lie down so they... So they're on their stomach, and then they stretch their hands out as far as they can. And then when they get up, their feet end up where their hands were, and then they lie down again. So kind of like like an inchworm, kind of like walking along. And she had done that for about 200 kilometers by the time we saw her, and she still had another 100 kilometers to go. The way she dealt with the child is that she had a string on her. And the child stayed with their tiny little bit of longings there, and so she would kind of inch her way along until she got to the end of the string. And then when she got to the string, she would actually walk back. she put a marker there, and then walk like a rock, and walk back, get the kid, get her stuff, put it there, and then carry on. So she basically did everything twice, right? Plus doing it, and this was complete devotion to the cause. And it was just amazing to see people doing that. You know, it was just, it was just like incredible. And it was incredible to watch our kids see other people who has, whose society and values and everything were just complete, like they were as different as our kids were. But, you know, learning that there's other ways in the world. Um, Like that was, that was one of the most amazing trips. I mean, but, but, you know, those tourist trips, you know, they come and they go and then you fly back home and you carry on, right? I mean, living in South Africa for a year was pretty formative too. Hmm. So basically go for some adventures. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of them were, you know, and don't kind of go too safe. Yeah. I mean, you know, don't fly into a war zone, but, um, uh... You know, you have to take risks or su- just something that's completely different, you know, like just as like out of your comfort zone. You kind of like, I mean, I think the bottom line is that you know, human beings are by and large decent and honest and not ill-willed. I mean you're gonna fall you're gonna if you're bad, if you have bad luck, you're gonna fall into some bad situations now and then, and you know everyone has, but um you know by and large, people just want to help you out.
0: <laughs> That's so cool. lots of lots of adventures that I didn't even know you had.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, we've been lots of places
0: okay. What did, you, uh, what did your parents teach you that set you up to live well?
1: Probably one of the things, and you probably got the same thing, is our parents, I mean, being first-generation immigrants, I mean, I know yours aren't, but mm-hmm. uh, it, it is that there's just real value in working hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and you know, some people would criticize that work ethic, but I just think it's incredibly valuable. That you know, you just have something in you that doesn't allow you to do a half-ass job. Um, and and I think that's. I mean, we've kind of, kind of, kind of showed our kids that as well and you know they pretty well have that but I think if you don't have you know and part of having a great work ethic is also just the honesty uh, of doing a good job well Um, I think that would be the number number one thing like we just could not get away with doing a half ass job (laughs) like it just didn't happen yeah and we were expected to... And you know what? The other thing is right from a young age to treat people or treat kids as being like valuable contributors to the cause, not saying, oh, well, you're a baby, you can't do anything anyways, just kind of go away, you know? Uh, and so I think it's important right from a young age to to teach kids that they can help and their help matters and it's valuable and you actually kind of respect them as a individual and they're not just a silly plaything. that that's that's irrelevant um uh and, but not just the beginning of it and then all the way up and you know as you get older the expectations get a little bit more um but i think if you don't really learn to work and you get too soft uh nothing will ever happen nothing ever will become of you
0: hmm so, speaking of learning Stefan, if you got the chance to design a class that everyone in high school would have to take, what would the class be?
1: I, didn't, I know, I read that, and I just didn't really know what to say. Uh, I think that probably the most important thing would be to just, learn about the fact that there are so many different views and attitudes towards almost everything so kind of a i would say a class on diversity uh and acceptance of diversity i think that would probably be the most important thing to make people be able to live in society better
0: Hmm. that's really cool how do you think people Uh, can learn that themselves aside from going all the way around the world
1: uh well there's a lot of diversity local I mean it's just you come across it all the time you know I mean you know I mean you know we we started to play a lot of pickleball for instance and you know we we play pickleball in merit and up in merit you know you'd be surprised you think there were just a pile of country hicks playing but you know what we, we just have a hugely diverse group up there that plays and you know it's everything from a transgender individual to a physically disabled person a person who's had a stroke And, you know, they all play, you know, another person who had a terrible injury and has a fused neck and he can't turn his neck or look up. And you kind of think, oh, my gosh, what are we playing with these people for? But you know what? They're all there. They're all having fun. They're doing their best. They celebrate their good shots. They're, you know, and it's really, really fun. (laughs) it's really really fun and so I mean you know it's just like you know learning accepting learning kind of seeing people in different different uh walks of life different kind of everything and just you know realizing there are also people that have their motivations and their aspirations and their joys and their sadnesses, just like everybody else does. So, you know, yeah. everyone's just a human being, right? <laughs>
0: yeah. Whenever, when I lived with the 80-year-old man this year, yeah, he would always tell me, Simon, nobody's better than you, nobody's yeah. worse, we're all just human yeah. beings. If that's I had right. tea with the Queen of England, she'd be a lovely old lady and that's it.
1: That's right. That's right. Uh, that's true. She has her problems just as well.
0: <laughs> uh, okay, we're gonna yeah. have to switch up the questions a little bit. Okay. It's not gonna flow this time. So how do you think about setting priorities or uh, decision-making?
1: Um, well, I tend to be fairly practical about that. So like I mean... Uh, Priorities, I mean, you just have to... I mean, there's certain things that you just have to do because you have to do them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's not... You can't prioritize those kind of things because, you know, what has to be done has to be done. Um, And sure, you might do one before the other, but it's not if you do it, but it's when you do it. Um, Yeah, after that... uh, You just kind of have an inner clock of, you know, what's good, you know, for yourself, your family, the people you're with. Um, I would kind of say usually when uh, deciding like what to do for leisure and recreation, I mean, it's a joint decision between Lisa and I because we do everything together. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, one of us might not want to do something the other one might want to do it and then you have to decide whether it's going to work or not um, I don't really know the answer to that one more specifically than that
0: okay that's uh,
1: good enough yeah <laughs> uh.
0: <laughs> okay well this sort of ties into decision making but this is more about what's worth doing. I personally think about life as a series of bets or investments where you put in time, money, right. anything that you can possibly give. What do you think is worth putting things into?
1: Um, you know, I mean, I think that, you know, there there's a couple couple avenues to that. So, I mean, you do have to... I mean, there is a bottom line that you do have to kind of keep care of yourself and your family. But I think by the same token, you know, in a broader sense, if you don't care for your community and whether it's a small community or a bigger community, if you contribute to that in one way or the other, where, whether it be volunteering or whatever, um you know you don't live in a nice environment then that's kind of there's going to be a big gap in your experience of life as well Mm -hmm. Um, you know and that's think that's one of the nice things about living in Mount Lehman because you know we do have a fabulous community and this community has really grown and you know I'd credit Lisa with getting involved more in the community than me but you know for that we she has or she's contributed to creating a really great community to live in and that just makes your experience so much richer
0: that's awesome okay we have covered everything except for my closing question oh what's and that? that is no actually i have one more that i've added how do you uh, define success
1: uh I would say success is to be able to say that you live a very happy and balanced life.
0: Okay, so basically you say that you're living well yeah. That's success. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. And then in closing, this is the, the one that I ask everybody right at the end. What's the most important thing that I could learn from you today?
1: I don't know, just to live life to the fullest. I think that's take opportunities, take risks and you know yeah, exactly that. Live live life to the fullest. Don't sit around watching T V.
0: <laughs> uh, if you were eighteen right now, what adventure would you go on? You have ten thousand dollars.
1: You know, I wouldn't need ten thousand dollars to have a great adventure. Okay. You know, you know, go on a great camping trip. Learn a new sport. Learn how to whitewater kayak. Go on a whitewater be crazy. You know, go on a whitewater kayaking course. I did that when I was in fourth year medical school. It was just unbelievably funny. Fun. You know, we went and learned how to do rolls and float down whitewater rivers, upside down, went over a couple of <laughs> waterfalls. You know, I uh, went surfing in whitewater kayaks in the ocean in Tofino with a pile of people we just met. That was just unbelievable. <laughs> and it's just like, try something completely out of your out of your comfort zone and, you know, it's a fantastic, or learn to kiteboard like we did, or, you know, go hiking up in the Northwest Territories, or... You know, just, uh, just a cool adventure. I I could think of a million, um, (laughs) sail across the Pacific, get a job as a crew, sail on a sailboat from New York to France or something like that. I mean, there's just like, it's endless what you could do. So many, so many things you can do.
0: That's so cool. Ay, ay, ay. Lots of adventures out there for me.
1: <laughs> oh, they are. They're, uh, literally, they're endless. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah.
0: Thank you so much for talking to me right? today, No worries. I really appreciated <laughs> it. No worries. Hello, everyone. It's Simon. I know you thought you were done with me, but I've still got a few things to say. The first is thank you. I really appreciate that you're taking the time to listen to my conversations, and I hope that they're adding value to your lives. The second is is that if you're enjoying the podcast and want to support me in what I'm doing, you can do that in a few ways. The first is by subscribing on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. The second is by subscribing to my email newsletter. This can be found by going to my website, learningfromhumanity.com, scrolling down to the section titled Interviews, and filling out the form titled, Want to hear about new content? The third way you can help me out is by following me on Instagram at learningfromhumanity. The mailing list and Instagram are similar in that those are the places where you will hear about cool new content. News of anything new will be shared via those channels. The final and most important way you can help me out is by suggesting a guest. The guests that I'm looking for are the old and the bold. The old are those who are 65 plus and can look back at their life and say, I have something to teach others about living well, based on what I've learned over my years. The other category, the bold, consists of people like me, like you, maybe a few years younger, maybe up to the age of 35, who are actively trying to live the best life they can and have something to show for it. I'm not picky about who I interview, as long as they fit into those categories. It could be you, it could be your grandma, could be your best friend who does uh, roller skating professionally or makes really, really cool YouTube videos. I don't know who I'm going to interview, and I'm excited to find out. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you for putting up with me gabbering on for so long, and I hope you have a great day.